All right. Well, this is Stephen Wagespach uh, with your latest edition of The Biz, which is a podcast done by LABI, the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, where from time to time we introduce you to some of the interesting people that are in Louisiana making a big difference. And today I am joined by a guy that not only has a lot of interesting things to say and has done a lot throughout his career, but he also happens to be um, a dear friend of mine and someone that I've looked up to uh, pretty much my whole professional career and I think has been a really good template for the way an involved uh, person in Louisiana should be if they want to make a difference uh, and be a good person along the way as well. So I'm joined today by my friend uh, and my guest, Rolf McAllister. Rolf, how you doing, man? Doing great. Glad to be here. Are you really? Are yeah. you really glad to be here? I'm ready, man. Fire, fire away. <laughs> He's all, see, that's the thing about Rolf. He's always ready. There's no off switch on, on that guy. It's just on switch and really on. Um, all right, so let's get into it. So for those that don't know you, because we do have a statewide listening audience, g- give us a little flavor on you know, your career. You, you, you were the longtime, you, you started in the longtime publisher of the Baton Rouge Business Report, and the Business Report was much more than Baton Rouge. It was a uh, a publication that it has a lot of wide reach. It started quite a while ago and it evolved a lot over the years. So give our listeners a little bit of a background of kind of like what got you into that business and, and what that business start was like. Well, I was uh, going to be a lawyer like my dad and uh, having uh, did uh, a part-time job at a law firm, I found out I couldn't pick one area and do it. I like variety too much. And so. And what, this is late 70s, early 80s, something this, like that? This was in, uh, yeah, 76, All right. I guess it was. And uh, so anyway, uh, my dad was involved with a new publication. Uh, Grigory was in Baton Rouge, John McGinnis, y'all remember? A great writer. Absolutely. So those that are, that are listening, John McGinnis, who started the L.A. Political Facts Weekly and for years was the known political guy. So your dad was in business with him with the Grigri, right? Right. Well, he was in Grigri and he and Steve May, and they wanted to start a weekly paper called the Enterprise. And my dad had had a paper back in the 50s called the North Baton Rouge Journal. And so he, they got him involved in that paper. And so I, he said, well, why don't you go over there and talk to them about getting a part-time job? So... I went over there and, and met with them and uh, ended up working part-time in, in ad sales uh, my last two years of LSU. Loved the business, loved the variety, and so I, uh, when I graduated, <laughs> I, I stayed in sales and became the ad manager. And that went on for four more years, but because it was general interest, uh, you know, going up against the daily and the TV and radio and billboards, you know, it never made money. And, uh, but what was good was there was a trend starting around the country, and John pointed out that there's this New Orleans City business, this Houston Business Journal, and and so I was interested in in business, and I said, well, let me do some research. So I, I looked and got those publications, and and I said, uh, well, let's let's go for it. I'll I'll serve as publisher. We'll hire David Dodson as editor, and we'll spin this off uh, with the from the Enterprise. And so wait, let, let me ask you that for a second. So so back then. Your, your average consumer of news, whether you're a business owner or not, you were watching, what, Cronkite and folks like that on the 6 o'clock news. You got your, your, your paper delivered to your uh, morning step. And also there's the afternoon advocate at the time as well. So you had paper twice a day, no Internet, no Twitter, no nothing. And so there really wasn't anything out there in the market that was telling stories of business, targeted to business. That was kind of that was a pretty novel concept at the time, right? It was. And so it was sort of like the Wall Street Journal, which was national. And then you brought it down and had a local version of local business. 
And so that's where, again, we sort of modeled saying, hey, it's going to be the Baton Rouge Business Report. We're going to cover local business. The irony was because the Sunday paper did a business uh, page in the D section behind the grocery ads. I mean, because most similar of, to today, <laughs> <laughs> most of the uh, dailies, you know, don't, uh, uh, you know, cover. They don't have a lot of, the, the, you know, business owners as readers. It's a small portion. So you, you, this was a targeted publication, a niche, uh, much like we see now in radio stations and all the different, uh, you know, types or cable. But anyway, uh, so the, the irony was, is I went to the Chamber of Commerce at the time and I said, hey, how about a business publication? you know, in Baton Rouge, and they go, mm, the head said, I don't know what you'd write about in three months. Well, that wasn't good, you know, <laughs> not in real encouraging. And so anyway, I, I, my dad was my cheerleader, and, and, and uh, you know, he believed in it. And then I talked to Chuck McCoy, who used to be, uh, you know, with the LNB and later Bank One, and, uh, and I went and talked to him, and he said, I think it's a great idea. I think every one of my managers should be reading this. So I said, well, you know what? We're going to take the risk. We're going to roll the dice. And we came out and, you know, it took off. I went to a national convention. Four months later, I met some of the other publishers. It was a small group. And they said, well, we do a business trade show and we do a, a business awards and we do, a, you know, and I was going like, whoa, wait a second. You know, this is a lot of great ideas. We could expand and really create a franchise. So I came back and said, we're doing a business trade show, the Business Expo. I went back to the chamber and said, how about co-sponsoring? Put your name on it. I'll give you 10% uh, of the take. I'll give you a booth. I'll put your name as a presenter. They go, well, our executive met, and we afraid we might fail, and we'd have egg on our face, so we're going to pass. I go, you got to be kidding me. You know, again, that same thing Todd Graves and others <clears throat> you hear about who get, no, no, don't do it. It won't work. I mean, where is the risk takers? You know, where are the, uh, the entrepreneurs, particularly in, in the business community, which was sort of, um, you know, very laid back. And uh, with that, now later that, you know, they turned over their executive director and got a new one, a new board. And, and, and the funny thing was he came in the first year and said, hey, you do that business show. Could we co-sponsor that with you? <laughs> I said, I, that was uh, available last year. You missed the boat, year. big guy. You missed the boat, big guy. But, but you know, that, 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 that risk-taker mindset, and that willing to kind of, quite frankly, lead with your chin and try new things. That's kind of been the brand of Business Report during your entire tenure of running. I mean, you started it because there were, you saw a gap in the market to, to tell the story of business in a magazine publication. If you fast forward to today, the Business Report is much more than that. There's the AM, the Ford, the P in the Report. There's other magazines. There's the different events and award ceremonies and everything you all do. And a lot of that was like started for the first time. When you caught either, hey, another region's doing this, or you had a wild idea in the middle of the night, and you and you've always had this fearless personality to go out and embrace it and try it, succeed at it. Walk, walk through a little bit of like where Business Report is today, because I know you're, you're recently retired from the organization, even though a guy like you never is going to retire fully. But walk through like where where it is today compared to where it started, and and what are some of the pivotal moments over the years where you took that leap of faith and it, and it paid off in a big way. Well, again, we've always been entrepreneurial. My dad was an entrepreneur, and so you grew up seeing things, and I had a lot of ideas, and, and uh, you know, I, I was exposed to a lot of these other business people. And, you know, that's what's great about the private sector is uh, they can make decisions, and they can take risk, risk and reward, unlike government. And uh, so we, uh, we started the publication, and it grew, and then we started the trade show, and then we 
our, our second year, we had a business awards banquet and said, we want to present the awards and uh, when it comes to business because we want to expand the franchise. And so we, uh, we got Steve Forbes as our first speaker, wrote the big check and brought him in and sort of raised the bar you know, and what we wanted the, the quality and the excellence to be about. And, and then after we did that, we, uh, we, we saw New Orleans had a corporate cup uh, race. And we said, well, if it's a business race with corporations, we want to put it on. And so uh, I was at a crawfish bowl for our company and our freelancers, and Jenny Peters was there. And she said, I don't know why we don't have one. I mean, I could be race director. I said, you're on. And I said, <laughs> we, that, that night, you know, we created uh, the Corporate Cup and started that, and it grew to over 5,000 runners. And, and, again, we wanted these things for Baton Rouge. Uh, as I said, I went to conventions, <clears> and I said, you know, they have an award. Why can't we have one? They have a Corporate Cup. Why can't we have one? You know, and so Baton Rouge has to, you know, again, keep raising the bar. So we had to innovate. And, again, our market's limited. So instead of doing just one thing, we did two and three and four things as a way to grow. Uh, later on, we got into uh, the digital. And uh, we, um, you know, that was in 1998 we started Daily Report as a daily email. And that's 25 years ago this next year. And uh, we asked, um, I asked the editor of Axios, national uh, email you remember a daily email before 2000 and he said i can't remember one you know and uh it, it was one of those things where we were doing a fax weekly like others and one of our uh, writers said you know what about email and i go what the hell is email you know what I mean? yeah because if you think about it 1990 so 97 i think i'm just thinking about my own experience i think i had my first aol dial-up account and I probably had an email, but I sure as heck wasn't checking it very often. Yeah. And, you know, I I just gotten out of undergrad. I was going to D.C. And, like, email was like a wonky work thing. It wasn't as active as it is right now. So to pivot at that point and to say you're going to send out daily news updates over email, that's literally like trying to get to the moon at that point in time. So why – what made you think that was a good idea? And how in the heck did it actually take off? Because now if, you, if you're in the Baton Rouge area right now, you know, as well as anyone, people check their inboxes every single day for the AM report and the, and the PM report. It has become the go-to place to go for news, and Business Report started that under Ross' leadership. So talk about that decision at that point in time and why you thought it was going to work. Well, again, others were doing the, uh, the facts, and we, of course, had to send the facts to, to Atlanta where, where, they could, where the Western Union could send them out fast enough. So we weren't even controlling. Then they said, well, you know, we have this email, and you can put it in, just hit the button, and it sends. And, again, we had to find a vendor and everything else. And I said, okay, well, why not? If you just want to cut and paste and copy it over to the email, go ahead and do it. You know? And so it, it seemed like it wasn't a lot of extra effort, but we only had five emails to send out. You know? And so then that grew and grew, and it took us about three years to get to 3,000 emails. And we told the other uh, fax people, we said, look, you're going to have to convert over and to get email because we're going all email. And this was the thing that as it was growing. But, you know, it was just one of those things of, you know, why I bet the fax loyalists, like, were revolting against you. I bet you got oh, some nasty uh, uh, machine uh, messages uh, on that went, one. You know, back to that attitude. We want to stick to the status quo. <laughs> we want our fax on, you know. And, and um, so we went ahead and, and, and made that leap. And, look, the first, you know, again, the first one in the market, we had so many problems with vendors. And we had technical problems. And we switched. And we switched again. And we ended up, you know, having to go out of state and find a vendor that could be consistent with us and later brought it back local. But, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, it's one of those you're, 
the good thing about it is, you know, if you're first to the market, once you get it worked out, you know, then you be, you sort of can own the market. And so that was where it's been, like I said, this next year be 25 years and we've got, you know, great open rates on it, almost 50% and, uh, you know, which is unheard of. And, and so uh, we have many others that have followed us and copied that. But a good thing we do about it is it's all local. You know, I mean, we try to, you know, we, we, we generate a lot of stories and a lot of scoops ourselves. Absolutely. It's not, yeah. it's not aggregated news. Now, there's some of that. But, but uh, what was great is that if we got a scoop, we could get it out in 15 minutes. We could send it out worldwide. There was no need of a press. There was no need of route people. You know, and, and so suddenly these big competitors that used to say, well, we're the only ones that can put out the news tomorrow. You know, you're just a monthly or you're biweekly. Well, now it's like, oh, no, we can put it out right now. And so that leveled the playing field and, and it allowed us to, to compete and, of course, brought in more readers, more readers, more advertisers, and, and, of course, more revenue from a digital source. So not just the print, not just the events, not just the trade show, now the digital and so this is where, you know, we kept having to, I mean, really necessities of other invention. If we want to grow and we want to hire and we want to pay people, we've got to keep growing. And for Baton Rouge, it wasn't like we were booming and there was just, you know, we could rest on our laurels. We had to keep innovating. And, and uh, so, so that's why we've always been creative. We've always been innovative and looking for ways to serve the market. Actually, we want Baton Rouge to have the same things that, and and for and like I said, for a daily news, uh, no business journal in the country offered their readers a daily email, right. except right here in Baton Rouge. And so we were proud of that, and uh, they've done a great job. Well, you've done more than serve the market. You've you've driven the market and you've created the market in in this way, and it's it is a phenomenal story. And, but I want to pivot a little bit because. We've talked some about the history of the business reports of the business decisions you made, and, and I think we could go an hour on that because it's such an interesting story alone. But also I'm curious on your take because I've always thought you were you were so insightful on trends, not only as a state and policies and all that, but, you know, fast forward to today. You know, you started a, um, a, a magazine company that turned into a multidimensional um, news and coverage company. Um, the state of journalism today. Most people right now, if you poll them or whatever, there, there's there's a loss of confidence on that. You know, people go to their own designated news source to get what they want to hear in their own little prepackaged way. They, they've lost interest in trying to find for ways to push their own ideas, to hear other sides. People want to be reinforced when they go read news. They, they, they don't be challenged anymore. And you see a lack of trust in the media because of social media and bots on Twitter and all this stuff. And so, like... If you hear all of that noise today, and you've always been one to see where the industry is going, I'm generally curious from your side, where is the state of journalism? Just forget business report for a second, just the broader journalism community. Where is the state of that today, and where do you see it going? Like, if you were just starting your new news career today, which path would you be taking on that? Because it just seems like back in the day, you had 6 o'clock news, you had the newspaper on your front porch, and maybe there's room for a magazine or two. And then it kind of blossomed into email and all the other stuff. But, you know, these days it's, it's really hard to predict where people are going to be getting news. I know I have young employees here, and I talk to them, and there's a number of them who get their news from TikTok. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, to me, that's hard to imagine. But that's the next generation of leaders where they're getting this stuff. So what do you see as the state of journalism today, and what, do you, what are some things that you think maybe going forward or, or things you're going to be looking for? Yeah, well, that's where I think, you know, you need to go back to maybe even define what is journalism or what is news when you said 
uh, some of the young people get their news from TikTok. They get their information or opinions right. from TikTok. It's not news. I mean, news and journalism would be covering both sides of the story, giving you the information and, and, the, and both sides of views, and then you get to decide, you know, what you, you believe. Uh, but at least it's fair and everybody's represented. I, I do see, like you said, I mean, it's sad because, I mean, again, I started with John McGinnis, who was a great journalist. Fantastic. And, uh, and J.R. Ball, who I've worked with for years, mm-hmm. Stephanie Regal, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. Very uh, well. I mean, these are, you know, folks that are, that are good journalists and reporters. And, and we've had a lot of them in town. But, I mean, as far as nationally, what I see now is more and more the lines being blurred and even with news organizations, it's not just what they report or how they report it, but what they don't report, you know. And you're saying, well, this seems like a, you know, a serious issue. And some are like, just avoid it. Right. Don't even, you know. And then when you get into uh, news organizations uh, and then these other, like you said, social media, people do blogs. It's like, who is this blogger? And, and what is this tweet? Or what is this video I mean, is this fake? Is it not? You know, is it real? Did they check it out? And I get my own friends, you know, send me and say, did you see this? And I, and I look at the story, I go, this seems weird. You know what I mean? And, 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 and so, I, so I go to Snopes and I check it out and it's fake. Yep. And I'm going like, why would my friend send me that? Because I trust my friend. Right. And they forwarded. And, and, and it's just, you know, no truth to it. And so this is where, again, uh, people are getting it and get a little of it, and then they pass it on, and it spreads. And that's the there's we know there's pros and cons to the internet. It's, it's an incredible tool and what it allows and so forth. But on the other hand, it can be misused like anything else. A knife can cut your steak, or it can kill somebody, or stab you in the back. <laughs> exactly. And so that's where I think that the lines are blurred. I think that you know during the elections we saw people predict one thing and say they knew what was going on and, and Hillary was going to win. Well, then that didn't happen. They go, wait, I thought you said, I mean, are you plugged in? Do you really know what's going on? And right. then, then it goes the other way. And then they say recently, oh, it's going to be a red wave. Well, it's not. We're going like, well, who the hell knows what's going right. on? I mean, who can we trust to tell us the truth? And so now people are, like said, so jaded. They're going like, well, I'm just going to read this or I'm just going to listen to this. I mean, talk radio a lot of times. It's people just wanting, like you said, just to hear other people reinforce their opinion. It's like, well, don't you want to know the other side? People get mad at my column or they like my column that I write. And my point is I say, look, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying to get you to make a decision. If you're on the fence, either I, I want to make you say, you know what, this is what I believe or this is I don't believe that at all and I don't agree with you. Now, that's opinion. You know what I'm saying? And so, therefore, it's labeled opinion, and everybody knows, well, that's just your opinion. But when you get into the news hole, there shouldn't be the opinion. Unfortunately, we have a lot of writers that uh, let their opinions and editors that let it happen. The editor is supposed to cut it off and say, hey, that's your opinion. I can see you're biased here. We're going to take that out and just present the facts. But, you know. Let let me ask you on that. Do you think. Because I I think that's how most people would agree with all that. And, And they'd say that's the challenge right now. Do you think 50 years ago when you first, when, or when your dad was getting into the Grigory or, yeah, or partnering yeah. with John McGinnis, do you think that was the case with a lot of the reporters back then? Or do you think they were coming out of J school with an absolute pounding in their head of you have to keep your own personal opinions at bay, you have to report both sides? Editors had a really sharp 
excuse me, red pen on some of that stuff? Do you think it was more closely monitored and implemented back in the day, or it's always been there? And just because there's more different ways to get stories out there, it's just coming to light now. What do you think it is? Do you think that there's a there's a core integrity issue that has moved here, or it's just sunshine has allowed what's always been there to get out? I'm curious what your take is on that. Yeah, well, I would think, you know, when you go back um, – I would think that there might have been higher standards and people had time to edit. Mm-hmm. You see, now the pressure is, Stephen, you better get it out fast. You know, you don't have till tomorrow morning. You got to get it out. You need the hour. first click. You know, so, so okay, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to check it. Do we fact check that? Do we check that? You know, <laughs> hey, hurry up, hurry up. They're going to beat us. They're going to beat us. Well, you see that, you know, haste makes waste. That's right. And this is where I think the idea is it's when people have made mistakes. And then when they make mistakes, then people say, oh, you had to go back and correct that. Oh, you weren't right. And, and so then they start to question. Back in the day, I think there was more time. I think the standards were higher. I do think now the political environment has gotten so tense. Uh, you know, I think the journalists, from what I'm working with, I didn't graduate in journalism, but having worked with them, a lot of them are cynical, and, and they're supposed to be, you know, question things. And so, and I think a lot of them are more liberal. They want to save the world. You know, this is the view they come from. And, and again, politicians, you know, a lot of times are not trusted, and there's a good reason for a lot of times. They've, they've caught them, and, and I've had one editor tell me, look, Rolf, you know, we write this and we may have put this report of this story and it may be negative, but you know how many they got away with? And so right. I think there's that attitude of we're just trying to shine the light. And uh, I think they are distrustful of taking people at their word, which is supposed to check it out, find the facts, get the balance. But I think it's gotten worse, in my opinion. And I think now opinion is somehow it's being accepted and that the, the news, you know, organizations are allowing more opinions in they're 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 deciding as we've seen with with twitter you know they're now deciding what you can and can't who can and can't i mean to me you know a journalist ought to say wait why are you deciding who we can hear and who we you know we can hear and who can speak and who can't speak and i had a guy yesterday tell me rolf i appreciate you sharing your opinion saying what you think and just telling it like it is he said you know you can't do that this day this day and age I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, obviously you didn't get that memo because <laughs> I've been reading your, your opinion column, your editorial column, just like everyone else in this region has. And I think, you know, I'm a big believer in every person, every entity, every company, whatever has a brand. And your brand is something you've earned, and you can easily screw it up or lose it if you want. But your brand has always been tell it the way you think it is, okay? And so whether people like it or not, you've rarely cared much about that as long as you've done your own due, due diligence and homework and you're putting your brand, your, your opinion out there. And I always like how your opinion has always been captured under the umbrella of what you think is best for Louisiana and Baton Rouge to reach its potential. You, you've always kind of had that as part of your cause. You've always treated your publications, at least without the way I've read your, your writings, as not just a, a business trying to make a bottom line, but also a business trying to bring out the best in the readership and, and the people you're covering. Am I right about that? Has, that? has that been kind of a core business approach that to not just lift your earnings and your profits and your employees and all that stuff, but also lift what Louisiana can be? Or, or is that a misread on my part? No, we really, you know, I mean, Julio and I both have always felt that, you know, we wanted to make an impact, make a difference. And so, you know, you can make a buck, and that's great. There's nothing wrong. I mean, that's, that's a free enterprise. That's a capitalist system. And you have to do that to be able to pay your people to grow. And so, uh, you know, that's important. But at the same time, 
we wanted to make a difference in, in our city, in our state. Uh, and so that's why, you know, uh, we've, you know, done these events. We've tried to allow people to network, whether it's in events, present awards. We also wanted to provide the uh, celebrate success and, and the business report. You know, it wasn't just about presenting the news and, and doing investigative, you know, journalism or sharing opinions. We wanted to say, hey, this business is successful. This entrepreneur is successful. Let us tell you about that person and what they did. So you might be inspired or you might learn something from it. And we're going to give awards to the best, to the executive of the year, the companies of the year, the 40 under 40 who are making a difference, the influential women in business, the top 100 private companies who are succeeding, the best places to work. You know, these are things that, you know, are big deal. And so to me, they've inspired and they've contributed to the community, fueled other uh, entrepreneurs. And so we wanted to do that. And then, like I said, I got involved in politics because we see how much in Louisiana business is affected by politics. Uh, you know, we wanted the good people to, to be elected and, and to really, I hope they would just get in office and get out of the way. Unfortunately, so much goes through the Capitol. But, you know, the idea is in other states, let business take the lead. You know, let business, uh, you know, uh, improve you know, conditions uh, for people in Louisiana providing jobs and so forth. There's so much that they get a bad rap. And in our case, like I said, we wanted to celebrate the businesses that were contributing and, and, and making a difference.